Now, that would be the proper bumper music for you, my former cohorts from medical school days, who I hope are checking out what we're doing on this program. For all the rest of you who do not belong to that small and select group, I would use this for bumper music. Yes, I was privileged many years back and more recently this weekend to stand next to some fires. When you're around these folks, you can, to quote Yogi Berra, observe a lot just by watching. And by watching, I observed a lot decades ago and again this last weekend. For example, I've been talking about trying out some yoga on this program for, I don't know, how long, Mr. McMillan? Time. Too long. So when our class's star athlete announced that uh, on Sunday morning, when nothing had been scheduled, he would conduct a yoga class for interested parties, well, I tried it. And it was great. I'm sure we'll do more of it in the future, and, you know, leave it to these guys to break the ice. My coach scored added points, of course, by subsequently buying me breakfast because he said I was a big-shot radio personality. Between bites of salmon omelet that morning, I also learned about what uh, another one of my cohorts had been up to, which was, among other things, talking to women about sexual problems. Since yours truly treats men with sexual problems, I thought, geez, we better start doing some cross-referrals. But here's what I love about her. She was describing how she asks her patients, which in some cases can be women in their 80s, whether they have orgasms. Because, as she pointed out, This was good for sexual health and good for health in general. She told the tale about a recent patient who came in, 80-something, and was admitting that she did use a vibrator on herself. This was increasing her, I guess you'd say, general satisfaction with life, but that her old vibrator, in her now infirm state, was kind of heavy and hard to use, which prompted her doctor to suggest that she take up the new pocket rocket, which she was actually selling in her clinic. And I would note, I absolutely take my hat off to her for doing this. And this did raise the question in my mind of whether I perhaps shouldn't be doing an analogous thing on the other side of the fence. Should I, after fixing someone's erectile dysfunction, offer adjunctive therapies for their use? In fact, that's the question I would like your input on, dear listener. Feel free to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and vote as to whether you think it's medically ethical for someone in an erectile dysfunction clinic to perhaps offer up the fleshlight or similar such devices for use by patients. I am fairly divided on this one, but I think I could be persuaded either way So uh, please, give us your opinion. I do want to note there was just something palpable in the air when you put a bunch of people that haven't seen each other in a long time and have great affinity for one another in the same space. It was just a bit electric. 
I took to asking some of the spouses who were not members of the class if they didn't observe the same thing I was seeing, and to the last man and woman, they agreed that they were. I think I mentioned at the top of the program that this is a group that just, just had a certain twinkle in their eye, which I was immediately reminded of upon heading to my room to check in upon arriving at, uh, at the hotel. A woman sitting on the bench <laughs> shouted out, Doug! I looked over at her. She said, do you remember me? She, she didn't look very familiar, but I felt compelled to say, I, 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 yes, I, I believe so, which caused her to cackle with glee and say, boy, are you a liar. Yes, it turned out she'd been put up to this by her husband, who actually was in my class, whom I did not recognize, to which I say, good one, CP. I'm here to tell you, this is a fun group of people. Example, in the bar, after the second night of festivities, one of my cohorts brought in basically a boombox filled to the gills with Oingo Boingo. The bar, of course, had its own music. So when, uh, so when the sounds of only a lad were competing with uh, the ambient music, manager of the bar came over to the table. Is this your boombox, he asked. Yes, it is, said my classmate. That's pretty good, said the barman, who then turned down the ambient music. God, I love these guys. It's especially fun to look back over the years and get some questions answered. So I'm walking around with one of my classmates. It occurred to me to ask him, that time when we had the Halloween party and you were wearing the, uh, the weird makeup, lying in the bathtub in the haunted house that <laughs> was set up in the apartment of the person hosting the party, didn't you get cold in the bathtub? He looked at me and said, oh, yeah, we had dry ice in that water to make it bubble. Being somewhat intoxicated, I failed to notice as I got really hypothermic. At which point he described having to be rescued by one of our fellow students. And during one especially animated conversation with uh, one of my female classmates, I said, you know what? Another guy in the class asked me something, you know, back in the day, and I didn't know the answer to it. And uh, let me ask you this now. <laughs> he looked at me like, yeah. I said, one of our classmates asked me years ago, do you think she's Jewish? To which I replied, I don't know. She looked very surprised and said, uh, actually, Doug, I'm, I'm half Swedish. When we later found ourselves in the bar with the, uh, the Oingo Boingo, someone offered up a toast. And everyone pretty much spoke one out as we raised our glasses. My pal F.H., who had been part of the previous conversation, said, hey, did you hear that when she raised her glass, she said, Lahayim? To which I said, really? He said, no. Got me again. The wag in this case was one of my Chicano or Mexican-American pals. And at some point, the question came to me of who it was that nicknamed this trio of guys the Brown Brothers. Because once it was out there, they adopted it as their official <laughs> nickname, and everybody liked it and called them that. I'm proud to note at this juncture that that was my doing. Turned out there were three sort of neglected offices that nobody was using in the medical school, and the Brown brothers usually were studying in one room, and I was in another. On the morning of the second day, they conducted a tour of the medical school, for those who were interested. I had to say I was amused to find out that the report came back that it was no longer possible to access either my office or that of the Brown brothers. One of the other Brown brothers told me a story that I think might be worth relating because it gives you some insight as to, what, as to how he operated. We were studying late one night, he told me, when one of our classmates who is now deceased, suggested at the conclusion of studying that they, well, that they smoke a joint, which they did. 
To their great displeasure, one of the campus security guards making his rounds then came into where they were shortly afterwards and noted, something smells funny here. Taking out his big flashlight, he shined it in my pal's eyes and said, your eyes look awful red. What was his response? You know, if my eyes look red, it's because I've been studying here all night long. And if you smell something in here, all I can say is, I don't know who was in here before I got here. At which point he pulled out his registration card to show two the security guy. Now, it's worth noting that to be a full-time student at UC then, and I presume now still, you have to carry 15 units. For some reason, the medical school was given registration cards just like the undergraduates. Only it's perhaps worthy of note that our unit total, as listed on the reg card, was 49 units, meaning we were carrying about 3.3 times the load of a typical student, which probably was about right. And apparently, the guard knew what that number meant, looked at him and said, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. The part I liked best about this story was that when it was being retold here this last weekend, the sheer indignance of the teller just poured out of him, like, how dare he? To which point I had to say, God, I totally admire you for this. He had you completely in the crosshairs. You took the initiative and knocked him right off course. Well done, sir. You know, actually, pretty much everything was well done this last weekend. After everybody checked into the room and went down to attend the cocktail party, somebody snuck in and gave us all an envelope with a 30th year anniversary edition of the DIM newsletter. Now, DIM may take some explaining, and I hope that our class president will join us, either on today's program or perhaps on next week's show, to explain what this group meant to us. DIM stands for Dialoguers. In medicine. Well, some folks thought it, it meant something else, but uh, I'm pretty sure they're wrong. The original DIM newsletter produced 30 years ago was considered by some so hilarious that uh, one of them kept it on his clipboard. In fact, uh, correction, he still has it on a clipboard. When he's having a particularly rough day, he pulls it out, has a look at it, has a laugh, and continues on feeling just a little bit better. And this might be a good time to pause a moment for a public service announcement. Hi, this is James Brown, soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs because they are Super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad. But in short, I would just note the dim letter included some useful information. For example, an update on the mnemonic which allows you to recall the carpal bones. For those not in the medical field, I would note that your wrist, which connects your hand to your forearm, has eight bones in it. They're kind of hard to remember. If you're keeping score, they're the scaphoid, the lunate, the triquentrum, the pisiform, the trapezium, the trapezoid, the capitate, and the hamate. The DIM newsletter thoughtfully provided a modern update for the mnemonic. In our day, we were taught that the way to remember this was Susie lowers Tommy's pants, then they copulate happily. Whereas the modern version is some lovers try positions that they cannot handle. Take your pick. I think they're both excellent. 
And of course, we're 30 years older now, so some of the new dim drug seminars being conducted this year reflected that. Some of the new topics to be discussed included texting, sexting, and the new drug vernacular. Also, cryopreservation, or how to save those last brain cells, one that could be important for some. Interactions in the geriatric population between prescription drugs and recreational drugs. And my personal favorite, balancing stimulants and laxatives. It is my fondest hope that you will be hearing more from DIM in future installments of this program. Now, this program is perhaps one of the few that does like to um, cite worthy obituaries. Life is short. It does not go on forever. When the lives of certain individuals come to an end, we think uh, sometimes they're worthy of mention. And on a rather sad note, I would note that of my classmates, which numbered I something like 95, we have now lost seven of them. I want to give my classmate organizers all the credit in the world for doing a very moving memorial to some of the people we've lost. In particular, a Jewish prayer that we all found very moving, but I think I'll recite. It is titled, We Remember Them, and goes as follows. At the rising of the sun and at its going down, we remember them. At the blowing of the wind and the chill of winter, we remember them. At the opening of the buds and the rebirth of spring, we remember them. At the blueness of the skies and in the warmth of summer, we remember them. At the rustling of the leaves and in the beauty of autumn, we remember them. At the beginning of the year and when it ends, we remember them. As long as we live, they too will live, for they are now a part of us as we remember them. When we are weary and in need of strength, we remember them. When we are lost and sick at heart, we remember them. When we have joy we crave to share, we remember them. When we have decisions that are difficult to make, we remember them. When we have achievements that are based on theirs, we remember them. As long as we live, they too will live, for they are now a part of us as we remember them. And this is so particularly true in this case. We've talked on this program in regards to travels in the past about going to Costa Rica and taking surfing lessons or going over to Kauai and doing likewise, but the first surfing lesson I ever took was back in med school days. My classmate instructor was quite a remarkable guy. His career is what I'm sure was a first-class hand surgeon was cut short by a freak accident while driving his race car. But, that, but back in the day, he took me down to San Onofre to see if we could teach me how to surf. I had, I guess you'd say, limited success that day. Something chronicled in a uh, large format postcard created by another classmate. Came down to photographically record that event for posterity. For my birthday, I was given an oversized card showing me wielding a surfboard coming in out of the surf, looking like I knew what I was doing, at least in carrying the surfboard. At the bottom of the page, she inscribed, Open for Action Photo, which revealed the board making a dramatic lunge toward the beach as I was making a dramatic lunge back toward the wave. I still laugh very hard when I take a look at that photograph as I cherish that moment of friendship with my classmate. I also mourn the loss of two of my classmates who were especially bright, burning flames. 
I remember asking one of them, do you just have a photographic memory? He replied, I don't think so. It's pretty good, but no, it's not. I don't think it's photographic. But I know this. As the rest of us were memorizing, perhaps rather needlessly, the entire uh, biochemical pathways that uh, make up metabolism, in this case, how we metabolize sugar, those esoteric subjects of glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, and electron transport, I know darn well that most of us spent days and weeks, really weeks, memorizing how this all fit together. I know for certain through his roommate, this guy didn't crack a book till the night before the test. He picked up the materials, he read through them, and went in the next day to score a 98 out of 100, the highest score in the class. An amazingly bright guy, an amazingly funny guy, and unfortunately for you, dear listener, the story of how we wound up at his house back in Escondido after a trip down to Mexico is never going to be chronicled on this radio program. Although if my classmates will agree to it, we may share with you a few bits and pieces. I had two classmates who came from Africa. One I knew fairly well. His father was a prominent politician in one of Africa's more notable nations. And he too was, well, brilliant. There is really no other word for it. I knew he was a remarkable guy back in medical school days, but I think uh, all of my classmates were rather stunned to learn just how remarkable he really was upon reading his obituaries. A remembrance from one of his teachers on the internet described him as the smartest student I ever taught in my many years of teaching covering primary school to college. Noted his instructor, two examples will suffice. In four years of college, he earned two college degrees from two serious universities, a BS in biology from Northeastern University and a BS in engineering from the most challenging engineering school, MIT. He then went to medical school and earned his MD. He specialized in internal medicine, but that was not enough challenge for him, so he added OBGYN. Again, a double major. But he was still looking for challenges, so he returned to Boston University to obtain a master's degree in public health. Noted his instructor, to be associated with MIT, UCLA, Columbia, Irvine, Northeastern, Boston University, that is brilliance. To earn both an engineering and medical degree is amazing. To obtain professional, advanced, and undergraduate degrees from the East and West Coast, that's imponderable. I remember studying with him and suspecting that he was something of a force of nature. He came back at one point after going over to the anatomy department. He described to me how he walked in, plopped down in the chair, and asked the head instructor to ask me anything. Our professor of anatomy then directed him to the hand and asked him to describe all of the nerves, tendons, and structures which, which you would find if you lopped off a hand at the wrist. And, not surprisingly, he did it perfectly. Let me just assure you, dear listener, that's not an easy thing to do. The seventh and final person among those we remember inspired us all in medical school because she contracted lymphoma while she was a medical student. And I can tell you that these three decades later, I am in awe of the fact that she underwent treatment, stayed in medical school, and finished. 
She was tough as nails. She inspired all of us, and I'm glad to have known her and everyone else. And as I tell you about these people, my dear listener, I want to note something else that I'm grateful for. When I was attending medical school, these many decades ago, there was a profound de-emphasis at that time on having students compete with one another. I'm sorry to note that back in the 1970s when medicine was thought to be a very lucrative profession, and it still is somewhat a lucrative profession, but not like it was back in the 60s, the pre-meds of that era were noted for being rather competitive and cutthroat. A rather disproportionate number of people who might wind up, say, at Goldman Sachs today, at that time might have wound up as surgeons and anesthesiologists. Over some Hefelweizen at the reunion, my classmate that um, vanquished the security guard told me the story of how hard he fought back in the day to keep the faculty from reinstating a system that would encourage us all to compete with one another. To try and not just master the material, but also try and show up your neighbor. We chuckled and compared it to the scandal they had at our state prisons recently where certain guards were accused of encouraging inmates to have fights. That might be an extreme comparison, but I don't think it's that far off. And I guess the punchline of this entire segment today is to express how grateful I am to this bright, talented bunch of fellow students I had who all helped each other. It was a difficult environment, and it was tiring more than I can tell you. And that love and camaraderie I felt for my fellow classmates, which I, which I very definitely still feel today, is a reflection of the fact that we had to go through something very difficult together. Kind of like, I guess, people who go into combat together. Someone once said that, you know, you don't take the hill for the military brass, you take it for your buddies. At any rate, my dear listener, I'm sure some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, if you're lucky. And I'm grateful for the buddies I had back then and still have today. I hope that, uh, as I said at the top of the program, some of these folks will um, chip in to offer their considerable talents, what Mr. McGillan and I are trying to produce every week here. And uh, knowing them as I do, I'm pretty sure some of them will. And um, lucky me, I have some more good fortune, which in this case I can share with you, dear listener. Our favorite professor in medical school has been making a splash of late in the international news regarding some of the research he has done over the years. Stay tuned for that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. I only want to itch and desire. Let me stand next to your fire. 